You want to look good in your underwear and be comfortable, right? But that perfect balance is hard to find. Don't sacrifice style or comfort. Check out Me Undies. August is National Underwear Month, and to celebrate, Me Undies is making it easier than ever to try the world's most comfortable underwear by giving you a risk-free guarantee. All National Underwear Month long. If you don't love your Me Undies, they're free. Me Undies are made from Lensing Micromodal, a sustainably sourced, naturally soft fabric that's proven to be three times softer than cotton. Micromodal is an all-natural, breathable, eco-friendly fabric extruded from Austrian beech trees that actually inhibits odor. No stinky undies, just soft, cool, and cozy me undies. Me undies are the ultimate feel-good undies for when you want to feel naked but not actually be naked. All National Underwear Month long, you can feel them for yourself, risk-free. It's simple. If you don't love your me undies, they're free. Now until August 31st, get 20% off your first pair, plus free shipping at meundies.com/blogtalk. That's meundies.com/blogtalk. meundies.com Slash blog talk. We sing and we dance. We learn secrets long hidden. We honor the old gods. And we honor the self that we have that is both light and darkness. We do all of these things on our pagan path. This is our perspective. This is Pagan Perspectives with your host, Reverend Sylvanus Treewalker. Good afternoon. You are back with me again for another show of Pagan Perspectives here on Blog Talk Radio. And I hope the weather is good where you are all at today because I'm getting hit by a nice line of thunderstorms right now. And um, so we'll just see how the show goes with all the, the crashing and thunder in the background. And I would also like to apologize for last week's show because of uh, a glitch with... Uh, blog talk radio we only got to do 15 minutes and so uh sometimes those things do happen and um but anyway last week's show was was neither here or there we've got a great show today um i've got some announcements to make and then we will get on with it first of all uh we're going to do the first half of the show we're going to talk with dr buckland and then around the middle part of the show that's when we'll open up the phone line so if you're out there listening Whenever you do call, the number to call is one three four seven six three seven twenty seventeen. And I ask that whenever you do call in, give us your name and where you're at, and uh, please keep your questions or comments for Dr. Buckland kind of short, so that way we can get as many people on as we can as possible. Also, um, for those of you that put your name in to win a copy of Dr. Buckland's uh, new book, uh, Buckland's Book of Gypsy Magic. We're going to uh, uh, announce that winner in the middle of the show, so you might want to uh, keep your ears peeled for that. And also an announcement for um, coming up shows. On May 30th, we are going to have uh, author Kasur Saras, author of The Pagan Family and A Pagan Book of Prayer. He will be here on the show. And uh, up until that time, we've got two giveaways. Um, One is we will be giving away a copy of Dr. Buckland's book, The Wiser Book, The Wiser Field Guide to uh, Ghosts. And also, uh, in conjunction with ravensweb13.net, we're giving away uh, this wonderfully, I've seen it, it's really nice, 
a Gothic athame with its own sheath. It's, it's black and gold, it's, or black and silver. It's really nice. So if you are interested in um, either of these, the book, uh, The Wiser Field Guide to Ghosts, or uh, interested in getting your name in for uh, the athame, all you need to do is send in an uh, uh, email message to me, Sylvanus93, S-Y-L-V-A-N-U-S, 93 at hotmail.com, and then the subject line put in uh, uh, ghost book for if you're interested in the drawing for Dr. Buckland's book on ghosts. And also if you're interested in winning the uh, athame from Raven's Web 13, just put uh, gothic athame uh, in the search line or in the tagline for that. Um, and so for today's show, we have a great show for you today. Today we are going to be talking with someone who is just a standard in so many uh, people's bookshelves and and, and uh, has been uh, influential in the uh, pagan and craft movement in the United States and around the world for many, many years. Um, I would like to welcome to the show today Dr. Raymond Buckland. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you for inviting me on the show. I've been looking forward to it very much. Uh, thank you very much. Um, um, I hope the weather where you're at is is well because I'm getting pelted, and for the people that are out there listening, you may hear thunder in the background. So for all the people that are out there that are in areas where the sun is shining, um, I salute you. Um, we've been hit with it for about the last seven days, so I am definitely ready to get the uh, sunshine coming back and being able to get out in the yard and work with uh, just getting outside. I'm a person that likes to be out in in the outdoors, and I can't do that too much when it's raining. So, but uh, all right. For those of you who are listening and you're new to the show, you're wondering, well, who is Dr. Buckland? Well, he has written, and this is one thing I can say for myself. Um, there are many pagan authors out there that have written four or five or six books, and to me, I consider that a few. Um, Dr. Buckland has probably written at least over 20. I haven't done a count, but anybody to me that has written that many books in various fields uh, for many years, that's many books, and I salute you for having such an illustrious career, and some of the books that are standards in our bookshelves are Big Blue, which is Buckland's Complete Book of Witchcraft, and now Big Red, which is Buckland's Book of Spirit Communication. Um, some of the older books that I came into contact, very the, you know, the very first contacts that I had was, uh, I think it was the second or third printing of The Tree, which is the uh, Saxon Book of Witchcraft. Um, also, another one that I thought was very influential for me when I very first read it was Witchcraft from the Inside. And um, also another uh, thing that Dr. Buckman has out is, uh, and this came out, the original version came out years ago, and I do believe that there's a reworked uh, version of it on DVD, was the video for Witchcraft Yesterday and Today, which uh, was the very first video I think that I've ever seen outside of some others on uh, Witchcraft that was, um, you know, that gave a lot of the history and then went from the history into actually showing what it was. So I appreciate uh, you putting it out like that. Well, thank you. Um, as a matter of fact, the, the book count is up to up to 60 now. 
I've got about. Whoa, that's <laughs> yeah. awesome. Yeah, I've and got about sixty. But but the the video um, that uh, we did bring that out in DVD recently, and mm-hmm. we doubled the length of it uh, as a, a as um, a tape. It was just uh, one hour long. It's now two mm-hmm. hours. Uh, we managed to recover a lot of stuff off the off the cutting room floor. Uh, as a matter of fact, I had a copy of um, when we were making the video. Scott mm-hmm. Cunningham was running around with his camera, sort of shooting us and basically putting together the making of Ray Buckland's video. So I happened to have a copy of that. So we spliced a lot of that into it, and then we also did some new footage, uh, some of it mm-hmm. out here on on my farm. And uh, new interviews and what have you. So we've we've expanded it up to two hours, and uh, I can't even think of the title of it now. I think it is called um, uh, I don't know something revival of the old religion or something like that. Mm-hmm. But it, it's on it's on the Llewellyn website, and I think it's on Amazon.com and and various other places. Mm-hmm. And and that's one thing um, I looked. Uh, uh, for people that want uh, to learn a little bit more about Dr. Buckland but don't have the, you know, are, are close to a store or anything, one thing that you can do is, A, go and check out Dr. Buckland's Wikipedia entry, for one. Um, also, you can go to his website, which I believe is uh, raybuckland.com. That's right it. There. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think, you know, for most people, everybody that I know that has, you know, come into the craft, the, the books, that they have had the most contact with, of course, is like Big Blue and, uh, oh, let's see, like The Tree and a lot of your, uh, the book on uh, Candle Magic and stuff like that. And I think altogether, all total, I'm kind of looking at my bookshelf now, I think I've probably got at least eight or ten of your books. So, And I've gone through as many copies of Big Blue. Uh, they get so worn out that you end up having to get another one. That's and good. That Interestingly gets, enough, next year the Llewellyn will be putting out a 25th edition, 25th anniversary edition of Big Blue. Oh my goodness! It originally came out in 1986, I think it was. So it'll be the 25th mm-hmm. year of it, and I think they're doing a, a really special edition in, in hardcover, which a lot of people want. I know. Um, I, I guess. Um, off the top of my head, the witchcraft books that I've done, along with Big Blue and um, a Witchcraft from the Inside and, and The Tree, which, incidentally, The Tree, I think, has been rechristened the Buckland's Book of Saxon Witchcraft. I, I guess mm-hmm. everybody's trying to cash in on the Buckland's Book of Witchcraft theme. Mm-hmm. Um, along with those, of course, there was the Scottish Witchcraft. Uh, there's um, Wicca for Life, there's Wicca for One, which is on, on solitary witchcraft. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there, there have been two or three. And, of course, there is the big encyclopedia, the witch book, Encyclopedia of Witchcraft, Wicca, and Neopaganism. Mm-hmm. That's, uh, what, 250,000 words. That's a big book. Mm-hmm. And, and also, just for people that don't know, also, Dr. Buckland has written stuff that is that doesn't deal with the occult or Wicca, and two that I can name off the top of my head is one is Cardinal Sin, uh-huh. and the second, which is your uh, Tolkien novel, which is The Torque of Kurnow, which right. I am in the process of ordering that because I really want to uh, read that. Is this going to be a series, possibly? 
Uh, yes, it will be. It, it's not um, a trilogy or anything like that. It, it is an ongoing series, though. In other words, the second book, uh, which will be The Dragon's Return to Kono, uh, this picks up with, with some of the minor characters, like uh, probably 10, 15 years later after the first mm -hmm. book. And so we'll keep going like that for as long as I can keep going. So that, that's one that I, I really enjoyed doing, and it's, it's been doing very well, as a matter of fact. That is awesome. And I'm looking forward to getting the, a copy for myself and, and reading it, because I like I liked those kind of novels that take you to a place, the, the high fantasy, uh -huh. the, you know, just the whole genre. I've always loved them kind of books, and, and I always wondered, you know, if at some point, because I've been, you know, reading... Uh, your books for years, I was always thinking in the back of my mind, would Dr. Buckland ever write a book like that? And then I've seen interviews that said, why, yes, I have, and here's the name of it. And I kind of started looking around, and it's like, oh, that you know, it's just exciting. So as, as soon as I can get to it, I'm definitely going to get a, a copy of it and curl up and, and enjoy reading it. Good. It, it, it was fun to write something like that, because although it's, it's pure fantasy, it's, it's very much the Tolkien genre. But it's nice because you can bring in so much of magic and paganism into a story like that and, and really make it come alive with, with the magic and with the ritual and, and things. Uh, I've, I've just uh, recently finished another novel, which is a Victorian mystery novel, which may seem quite separate from, from what we're talking about. But there again, actually, I've been able to bring in a lot of interesting stuff. It's called uh, Golden Illuminati, and it's set in, in London in 1899, and so I've based it on the workings of the Golden Dawn. Mm -hmm. The Golden Dawn and the Illuminati, and so I've, I've got some of the Golden Dawn characters, such as Alistair Crowley, of course, and McGregor Mathers and, and others mm -hmm. like that, work those into it. And I really much prefer to write fiction to, to non-fiction, uh, mm -hmm. You can you can really let your imagination run riot, but it's nice when I can I can do fiction and yet draw on a lot of my my magical and pagan background. Mm -hmm. And and I would think you know as many books as you've written on witchcraft and the occult, I mean it would be good to write those kind of books because it lets you cleanse your palate, it lets your mind go to a different place for a period of time where you can be more creative and, and, you know, do something that, I mean, I know that you wouldn't be any less proud of the books that you've done pertaining to witchcraft and the occult, but whenever you go and you get to write a book because you like to write that book right. and you want to see how people react to it, I mean, I, I think it's awesome that you can do that. Right. Uh, the, um, the one you mentioned, Cardinal Sin, is, is actually a follow-up to an earlier novel called The Committee. Uh, that was the first book, Cardinal Sin followed on from that, and it has the same characters in both books. Mm -hmm. uh, it's, um, as you probably know, it, it's a fun thing because it's based on, on a committee put together of various psychics and, and witches and, and other types who are able to aid the government in international problems that they have, but working on a psychic, on a metaphysical level. So again, they were a lot of fun to write. The committee was the first one, and then Cardinal Sin, the second one. Oh yeah, um, and I'm, I'm and I lucked out those the older books like that, like uh, those and some of the uh, the original. I think the very first 
book that I seen of yours before I ever purchased one was The Magic of Chanomatics, the first oh, yeah. version, the first cover. Mm-hmm. And now it's been the, there's a new version that's come out, but I couldn't find it anywhere. And then I went on Amazon, which thank the gods for Amazon, and believe it or not, it's there. There's very few copies to be found there. Yeah, it, it's recently uh, gone out of print again, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. And it's like so for those people that are that peruse some of the different uh, cult shops and bookstores and and places around the country, if you see any of these older books that we're talking about. Uh, the Committee, Cardinal Sin, uh, you know, any of the older books, grab them up because if you don't, I think there may be somebody that might come along behind you in in their own time and, and, you know, buy them themselves. And if you don't get it when you see it, well, uh, it's kind of your loss. I would eventually, if I could, I would love to own all 60 of your books, Uh but uh, (laughs) that's a big investment. But I think over time I could probably come pretty close. Well, by by that time, hopefully, I'll have written about ten more. <laughs> oh, awesome! Because awesome. I just I just keep writing. I I'm frequently writing two or three books at the same time. I I just love to write. Yeah, um, and I want to take time for a minute. I want to say hello. Cause I don't want to be um, this uh, regarding the chat room here. We have a whole bunch of people here. We have Ravensweb thirteen, Blinks, Blue Eyes 07, Phoenix Fire, a couple of different guests, Rhonda Lee. Shocker Alum and Zarkon, I appreciate you uh, folks um, taking the time to come and join me today here with Dr. Buckland. And I have some questions that I've written out, so I kind of like to start getting into the interview itself. And one of the questions that I usually ask my uh, guests whenever I interview them, one of the first things is, um, what was your uh, religious background, how were you brought up, and as far as that went, how did that bring you into uh, your practice of witchcraft and magic? Well, um, I was brought up nominally Church of England, which is pretty much the same as Episcopalian over Mm -hmm. in England. Um, But uh, our family was not particularly religious. We hardly ever went to church, you know, perhaps for somebody's wedding or or something like that, but but otherwise Mm -hmm. we didn't go. So there was no pressure to go to church. Now, my introduction to the whole metaphysical field really started when I was about 10 years old. I was always an avid reader as a kid. I read everything I could lay my hands on. I especially loved encyclopedias. I loved to go through those and find all sorts of interesting facts. And uh, one day I was, um, I, I grew up, of course, during the Second World War. I was born in 1934. And uh, during the Second World War, when it, it broke out in 1939, we moved up from London, we moved up to Nottingham, the home of Robin Hood, of course, and mm-hmm. we were up there for most of the war, but we would make trips down to, to London to visit my grandparents, and my uncle also lived down there, my father's brother, Uncle George, and he was a spiritualist. He and my aunt were, were very much into spiritualism. And one time we were visiting there, and as I say, I was about 10 years old, and I asked him if he had anything I could read, and he loaned me a book on spiritualism. And I absolutely devoured it. I thought it was great, and I went back to see what else he had, and I very quickly read through every book that he had on spiritualism. So from there, I went down to the local public library, and I started working my way along the shelves from spiritualism into ghosts, and ESP and magic and witchcraft and voodoo and so on. So that's what led me into the the whole general field. 
Uh, it wasn't until much later that I got um, drawn into witchcraft specifically. Uh, up until then, it was mainly spiritualism. Mm -hmm. But in the what the early late 1950s, early 1960s, I started reading as much as I could about witchcraft, and I. I absorbed, Mar absorbed Margaret Murray's books, uh, The God of the Witches and the Witch Cult in Western mm -hmm. Europe and so on. And I found those very, very fascinating. And then a few years later, in 1954, Gerald Gardner's Witchcraft Today came out. Mm -hmm. And um, I read that about the same time that I reread Margaret Murray's books. And reading the three of those together, I was, was absolutely captivated, absolutely drawn in. Uh, Gardner, of course, the, was the very first person to to write about witchcraft as a witch. Uh, for this reason, his book, Witchcraft Today, is, I think, the most important book in, mm -hmm. in witchcraft. Uh, so he wrote about it as a practicing religion, as something which was still alive, though at that time it was only just barely alive. And I was so fascinated that I wrote to Gerald Kerafis, publisher, and happily, I, I got a reply, and we developed a correspondence. And from that, eventually, um, he introduced me to his high priestess, Lady Alwyn, and um, I was eventually invited to, to go up to Perth in Scotland to be initiated by her. Uh, at that time, Gerald was um, very keen to get the craft started over in this country. Uh, when his book came out, he heard from people all over all over the world basically he heard from a, a few covens that still existed in Europe various parts of Europe and a few others in England and was delighted to find that there were still others around but he didn't feel, hear from any covens as such in this country a lot of individuals like myself who were interested but but nothing organized so he was very keen on getting Wicca started over here so he asked me if I would do that and I agreed to. Uh, he went off for his last trip to, to Lebanon and unfortunately died on his, his way home from there. He used to go there every winter for, for his asthma. And um, unfortunately, as I say, he, he died in, in February of 64. And I had uh, started the first coven here on Long Island, New York, in, the, mm -hmm. uh, in late 63. So that's that's what led me into into witchcraft. It was, mm -hmm. I guess, the question of being in the right place at the right time, or depending on how you look at it, perhaps being in the right place at the wrong time. <laughs> well, that was the one thing that you kind of answered what my next question was going to be, um, because of, of what had happened in 1951 with the repeal of the Witchcraft Act in Britain. Mm -hmm. I was wondering if... Uh, uh, Gerald had the idea of whether or not he wanted to see about, you know, uh, whether it would happen here in the United States because in like in 63, in the 60s in general and, and moving forward in the United States, as a lot of us know, that was a time where a lot of uh, uh, new think, new thought was coming out. There was a budding pagan community and we had groups that were uh, uh, people that were here that had been uh, doing other uh pagan traditions and stuff out on the West Coast, specifically Victor Anderson, mm -hmm. uh, the fairy yeah. traditions. Right. And um, what I was thinking is, if the if the Witchcraft Act had not been repealed, I wondered if there would have been so much of a push or the thought from Gerald to, you know, if he would, would have kept it more, you know, under and only kept it in Britain, 
or would have said, okay, well, if you know people would leave Britain and move to the United States and Gardnerian craft would be introduced, I mean, was there any concern uh, about that? Well, the the thing was that, that Gerald was, was so enthused about the craft when he first discovered it, and he very much wanted to to publish details about it to show that it was not a Satanism, a black magic, or anything like that, of course. Uh, this was what he wanted to do. He wanted to show what witches really believed in, what they really did, but he wasn't allowed to. His high priestess, Dorothy Clutterbuck, wouldn't, wouldn't let him. And so it wasn't until 1951 when the Witchcraft Act was repealed, and it was, I think, that same year that Dorothy Clutterbuck died. So that then gave uh, Gerald the impetus to, to really push to get information out, to get it published. And eventually the rest of the coven agreed to let him. He had, of course, written High Magic's Aid, which mm -hmm. was about witch, witchcraft, yes. But it was, was written as fiction, although it was, was pretty much fact, factual. But he wanted to write a non-fiction book on the craft. So mm -hmm. with the repeal of the act and with finally the, the group saying okay, then he was able to write about it, and it came out in 1954, and of course later in 59, the, the meaning of witchcraft followed. So this was the, the start of the whole renaissance, the, the whole revival of witchcraft. Until then, uh, nobody had really thought of it as a religion in it, its, its own right, or even as a, um, a survival of a pre-Christian religion. So nobody over here had, I mean, the only witchcraft known over here was the, the, the Salem type, which, as we know, was, was pure hysteria at that mm -hmm. time and, and wasn't witchcraft per se. It was, was Christianity distorted. So he was very um, keen to get it started over here, to get his form of it started over here. Uh, so, so that's what I, I did. Now, Victor Anderson, of course, about that time was coming out with ideas. And a lot of people, I mean, we get this so often throughout history that same sort of ideas crop up in many different places at about the same, mm -hmm. same time. But Gerald, I guess, caught on because there was some sort of, of tradition there, some sort of follow-through from earlier times that was very, very definite. Uh, later on, of course, once once... I almost said once the cat was out of the bag, so certainly once people were out of the broom closet and people saw what witchcraft was, they felt, as I did, that, wow, this is, is something that I want. My feeling was, boy, this is something that I've been looking for for years, although I hadn't consciously been looking. It was something I guess yes. unconsciously I had, but I recognized it when, when I saw it, when I found it, and so I wanted to be a part of it. So from then on, uh, a lot of people wanted to become a part of it. But the trouble with, with Gerald and with, with Gardnerian witchcraft, which was the only visible form for, for quite a while, the trouble was that it was a very slow moving, very slow developing. Because with so many people having the wrong ideas about witchcraft, many of them thinking, oh, this is a great excuse for an orgy or, or for, for whatever, mm -hmm. Uh, many people had the wrong ideas, so it was very, very careful. Uh, Gerald established a degree system so that people could work through to show how dedicated they were, how sincere mm -hmm. they were, that they, they really wanted Wicca as as a religion. But this meant, of course, that it was very, very slow to grow in this country, and a lot of people, of course, couldn't wait or didn't want to wait. Yeah. Um, 
One, one of they the, were impatient. Uh, right, and and one of the problems, I, I would put it here, was uh, Ira Levin's book and the following follow-up movie, Rosemary's Baby, which unfortunately Levin used the word witch and witchcraft in that when he was talking about pure Satanism. But a lot of people saw that and they said, oh, so this is how it's done. And they dug out perhaps some of the old books on ceremonial magic and, and they looked at the movie and they put together their own stuff and they said, okay, if we can't get into an actual coven, we'll start our own. So all sorts of spurious covens came into being about that time, and there was really a, a, a bursting of, of witchcraft and, and wicca around about that time. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and it's like, that, that was one of the, another questions. See, you're kind of like reading my mind. You're answering some of my stuff before <laughs> I ask it. Um, what I was thinking is, okay, you came in 63 and you brought it, and even in that time um, there was a, a budding, a very small uh, community that was starting to pop it up, pop up on the East Coast, on the West Coast, and some of the rural areas of the United States, um, bringing a tradition like uh, Gardnerian craft to the United States, I was wondering how it was received. I mean, you know, people that didn't, maybe didn't necessarily know what witchcraft was whenever that's what their first contact was, I could see that they would be all for it. But I was just wondering if there was any, you know, any uh, backlash or if there was any just unusual feelings to something so new from some of the other pagans and, and groups that were starting around the same time, or was it a, you know, was there a little bit of a harmonious thing, or how did that work? Well, it's um, the people who were, were drawn to it, the, the pagans or would-be pagans at that time, um, paganism generally sort of got off with with um, the pagan way, which which was started, started by Ed Sitch, who was actually a member of, of our coven initially. And... Um, other than that, the only uh, visible form was, was the Gardnerian and, and the more traditional forms such as that. And, of course, they were viewed by most people with, with horror. Uh, we went through, I personally went through a lot of the same things that Gerald Gardner went through originally. With um, I, I had rocks thrown through my window. I had my car set on fire. I, I had Ooh. my front door kicked in, my my children were verbally abused and, and we, we went through a hell of a lot uh, but I felt at the time that it was basically my job to, to persevere and to to my main theme was to um, correct the misconceptions about witchcraft and this was it, there were so many misconceptions, I would come home from work and, and find a crowd of what 50 or 60 high school kids outside the house standing there chanting, ding-dong, the witch is dead. I don't know if you remember that old old song. <laughs> yes. Um, things like that. Uh, so what I did, I, I tried to uh, get as much information out to the people to show what witchcraft really is and what witches really do and believe. Uh, so I did uh, interviews for newspapers, for magazines, but I wasn't out to publicize myself, so... I didn't use my own name or my address for any of this. But um, there was a, a Newsday, the, the big Long Island newspaper, did a wonderful, wonderful article one Halloween uh, for uh, about witchcraft. It was like a five or six page article was done by Mike McGrady, who was a very good journalist. And um, 
there were some photographs, but my wife and I wore masks or were, were photographed in the shadows so we couldn't be recognized. And uh, nowhere did it say where we actually lived. But it gave a very good picture of what, what Sauron was all about to witches and what, what the whole thing meant. And I did several articles like that until I was um, perhaps foolish enough to let a lady, the name of Hoffman, Lisa Hoffman, I think was her name, from the New York Sunday News, who wanted to come and interview me and to, uh, to, to learn all about witchcraft. And as always, I got from her a, a promise that she would not give my name or, or address or whatever. And she did this article, and when it came out in the paper, there it was in bold print, Raymond Buckton, who lived on Timberline Drive in Brentwood, New York, the whole thing. Uh, you know, you, you just can't trust a journalist. Uh, so, <laughs> that's true. So that, that, that didn't help, but actually there was a positive twist to it, because it meant that now that my name was out there, although it meant that I would suffer a whole lot more abuse, uh, and I certainly did. Uh, although my name was out there, it meant that I could then do more. I could do TV shows, radio shows, or whatever, where I didn't have to hide my face, where my name could be used. Mm -hmm. So it opened up the field to do even more straightening of misconceptions. Mm -hmm. And that was what I, I worked on. And that was the reason I, I wrote my, my first book. Gerald Gardner's books went out of print. And I thought, well, we've got to have something ca carrying on with, with, with the word, the, the true word of, of witchcraft. So I wrote um, Witchcraft from the Inside to, to fill that gap. Uh, happily, Gerald's books have been reprinted since then. But that was what, what started me writing about witchcraft there. So that was the, the way it went. Uh, there was a very poor reception from, from most people because most people didn't know what the heck it was. And so it was a, an uphill battle for many, many years trying to educate people. We're still doing it today, of course. Mm -hmm. I mean, it was a gradual people. process because I can right. see that, you know, you took the time to, you know, after that lady, I think that lady did do your service by doing that because then you could say, okay, I'm known and I can do something about this. I can let people know what uh, pagan traditions are about. I can let them understand what witchcraft really is. Right. And, you know, it's, it's you're you're you know coming not necessarily coming out of the broom closet per se, but because there weren't very many other people. I mean, for for back in those times, the people that were in Britain and here in the United States, the people that were back then, like Sybil Leak and mm -hmm. others, they were writing books in Britain, and they weren't over here dealing with because you know things were getting more started there and coming here where things were still right. new and and you know people were highly Christian in the United States, so that kind mm -hmm. of you know messed with people not knowing what witchcraft was, and I think you opened up a door by being able to do these interviews and then writing your books, and it's just, you know, been a great effect since then. Right, yes. Yes, but it was, uh, you know, it was a labor of love, but it had to be because it was a little tough at times. <laughs> oh, yes, because, I mean, some of the things you're talking about, like people uh, kicking in your uh, doors or, or setting your car on fire, I've known people that have had their car windows busted out, uh, yeah. their children threatened, Right. Um, people leaving Bibles in their uh, mailboxes. Oh yeah. You know, yeah. thinking that they're going to do the evangelism thing and yeah. and all that. And it's just like I think you know they have their way of dealing with us, and the best way that we can do is you know be 
as open as we can because I think the secrecy is, you know, the secrecy issue that they don't know what we're up to and, you know, they're afraid that we're going to do evil things and bad things to them and their children. If you allay the fears and you say, this is what we do, this is how we do it, this is why we do it, these are the traditions and myths and things that back up some of the things that we do, and they can look at it in a whole new light and go, oh, well, that's not so bad. I kind of understand where they're coming from. Yes, well, it, it, it's uh, it's typical that people are afraid of that which they don't know or understand. Mm-hmm. So once you can let people know what things are about, once you can get them to understand it, then they are less afraid. Oh, yes, definitely. Um let me see my next question. Uh, as far as before you wrote your very first book, and 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 before you even thought to write your first book, um, who were the people that you know that were writers that you admired and influenced you to say, okay, well, this is something what I know about. I'm going to go ahead and, and write a book and, and put what I know out to the general public. Well, writing generally, I mean, I, I had my first article published when I was 11 years old, I think it was. Um, my father was a writer, so he was the biggest influence on me. He he wrote, he actually worked for the, the British Civil Service, he was in the Ministry of Health there, but he wrote and had published, he wrote poetry, he wrote plays, he wrote short stories, he produced, he, we, we did a lot, a lot of theater in those days. And he wrote plays and music and, and all sorts of things. So he really inspired me. And and in my early teens, uh, I was, was writing things. Um, it wasn't until I came to this country, I actually came here in 1962, it wasn't until I'd been here a couple of years that I had my first book published. My first book was actually... Uh, a Pocket Guide to the Supernatural, published by Ace mm-hmm. Books, which came out in, I think, 1969. Um, so uh, Witchcraft, um, Witchcraft from the Inside, came out in 1970, as did uh, Practical Candle Burning Rituals. They both came out about the same time. Mm-hmm. So uh, the uh, Pocket Guide to the Supernatural was, was actually the first one but I was inspired by, as I say, mainly by my father, but um, I was inspired on the metaphysical field, strangely enough, by Dennis Wheatley. I don't know if you're familiar with Dennis Wheatley. Uh, he was uh, an English author who produced these terribly sensational, it was all fiction, all, all novels, very sensational things like The Devil Rides Out and To the Devil a Daughter and The Satanist and wonderful, wonderful books. His, his writing was great. Uh, it was very much from the, the Christian propaganda point of view. I mean, the, the, the witches were the devil worshippers and, and the black magicians. But his descriptions and, and his, his feelings and the, the battle of good versus evil was just fantastic. He wrote oh, probably eight to ten books. I've got them all. And um, just from the writing point of view, his his material, as I say, wasn't extremely wasn't very accurate, but mm-hmm. it was sensational and it was very exciting writing. And and he certainly inspired me. Uh, then I guess it was uh, knowledge. I, I as I said from the earliest age, I was uh, an avid reader and I started collecting books. I've now got I think something like nine thousand books 
here. Uh, oh my goodness! Sitting in my <laughs> sitting, sitting in my library right now in my, my office. Uh, I got about nine thousand. I've got a whole big section on witchcraft, a whole big section on magic, a whole big section on divination, on spiritualism, and so on and so forth. So collecting these um, and absorbing as much as I could, I, I always felt that I wanted to share knowledge, and I've, I've always been something of a teacher, I, I guess. I've always enjoyed lecturing and doing workshops. Mm-hmm. And um, my first thought was when I w- was ready to, to write a book, I thought, well, I would like to write a book about the many different forms of divination. And uh, so I jotted down perhaps a dozen or more different forms, and I thought, now, um, who would publish a book like this? And I looked around, and at that time, Ace Books was one of the the main publishers of that type of book. So I thought, okay, now, what sort of title do they like? So I looked at the titles of their books at that time, and I came up with a title which would seem to fit in with theirs. It It was called A Pocket Guide to the Supernatural. But I thought to myself, you know, I don't want to write this whole book, spend all this time writing a book, and then have them say, no, we don't want it. So I just wrote, uh, I think, three or four chapters of it. And I Mm -hmm. sent them those four chapters and an outline of the rest of it. And I figured, well, if they reject those, then I'm I'm not out that much time. But uh, they came back almost immediately with with an acceptance and a contract and what have you. And and so I wrote the rest of the book, and that came out, and... I was sort of off and running from there. So um, I was inspired, of course, by by Gerald Gardner with writing about the craft. I was in, inspired uh, oh, many, many writers at that time. Um, suddenly my, my mind goes blank, think, think of, of authors. Um, and I have a terrible time with, with memory these days. Um, anyway, there the, the were some sort of classical writers of that time who, who mm-hmm. really inspired me. And uh, the main thing I felt, though, was, was to get out there and write. And I think anybody who's, who's thinking about writing a book, they need to just get on with it and do it. They can always go back and correct it if they don't like it or mm-hmm. whatever, but, uh, but get on and write. And, and the one thing about it, you know, whenever you were going through the process of writing your very first book, I mean, there was always, you know, the thought in the back of your head, well, this could be an exercise in futility. I could go into their office and, and pitch it to them and, you know, give them the chapters and, uh-huh. and, you know, they could say no or somebody could, you know, like it and go, well, we want to put this out right away. I mean, it's always that 50-50 chance and, and I agree and I think that's what helped you is because writing those first books and, and getting established, um, I think that probably in my mind uh, is what, you know, you started to like it more and you were enjoying what you're doing and you had a lot of things mm-hmm. that you wanted to share. So that's how you came to write these different books that you put out over the years. Right. Yeah, I, I have always loved writing so much and there are many, many books I've written that that I wrote because I was enjoying writing them and I often thought to myself with various ones, thought to myself, well, I don't care whether this ever gets published or not. It really doesn't matter. I'm just having so much fun writing it. Uh huh. And, and speaking of that, we'll 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 talk about. Uh, there's a couple of your books that I want to talk specifically about. First off, we'll, for everybody that's listening that knows, um, did you ever think that Big Blue would become such a standard for people? Here in the United States, as you know, a lot of people that's the very first book that they that they right. purchase whenever they're new and they want to learn something. 
uh, that's what they buy. Did you ever think that it would be so successful? No, it, it's it's pretty much as as with Gerald. I mean, Gerald never envisioned. I, I know that the Wicker would catch on the way it has and become so popular worldwide. He, he never saw anything like that. I never saw anything like that when when I started it uh, back in in sixties and sixty three, sixty four. I never thought saw any of that and never thought about it. You know, you just do what you're driven to do at the time, and you mm-hmm. don't think about where it's going. So the same thing with with Big Blue. Um, I had uh, I had started a, a correspondence course, a Wiccan correspondence course, which was actually based on Siax Wicca since I started that in, in 1973, and um, it grew and grew. Uh, and unlike another correspondence course that I can think was going at that time, they did a lot of stuff on computers. If, if students wrote in with questions, then somebody who was sitting at the computer, if that question was listed in, in their book, they could give an answer for it to the student. Well, I wanted to, to be very much uh, on hand, very much one-on-one with, with every one of the students. So anybody who wrote a question, I would answer it personally. Uh, but unfortunately, it grew. Uh, I had, what, well over a 1,000 students, and I just, just couldn't keep up with it. And so um, I decided what I need to do is to put this into book form. This way it will go out to far more people. Uh, they'll all have it there. I'll put in as much as I possibly can. I'll put in questions and answers. I'll put in the whole thing. But I decided that if I was going to do that, then I shouldn't restrict it to the Sax-Wicker tradition, the Saxon tradition. I should make it open. I should make it something that anybody can use and that they could easily uh, adapt to their own feelings, their own own needs. So I, I redid the whole course and wrote it in, in a new form, and uh, it became Buckton's Complete Book of Witchcraft. And it is, uh, as you know, something that anybody can take if, if they've got a, a particular love of, um, I don't know, let's say the Egyptian gods, then, then they can do their own tradition based on them, on that with Egyptian gods' names. But it gave them a foundation, something on a which framework. to build. Yeah, something on which to build. And so I, I just put it out, hoping that it, that it would be useful. Well, now it's it's sold, what, over 500,000 copies, over half a million copies, and still going strong. So I'm absolutely delighted. But uh, no, you, when you do things, anything like that, you, you really don't see how it's going to go. You don't envision what the future holds. You just do it and then get on with something else. And then, you know, after the years that it's been out, and, and you look back and you go, Wow, you, it might not. Have, you might have thought, okay, would have only done so well for just a certain amount of time because there are so many different white writers out there right. in the pagan cult field that you never could think that it would, you know, become such a standard in people's houses. Um, I, and oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Uh, I, I was just going to say I, I have been actually been quite blown away with with it, its reception because it has it seems to have affected so many people's lives over the years around the world. I mean, I go to, I do book signings and what have you, and, and people come in with, with piles of my books, and they invariably have an old, battered copy of, of Big Blue, and they say how they, it was their first book on witchcraft, or even that, that their, their parents, their mother or their father, introduced them to, to, to the craft with this book. And it, it's just mind-blowing when I, I see things like this and hear things like this. It, it's It's really 
so gratifying, but it, it leaves me, you know, with a lump in my throat. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's it's. I mean, people will, will say that you know that that's one of the first books that they buy, and that they can, you know, that they can, you know, get as much information as they can and the things that interest them. Um, for me, I think one of the uh, more pivotal books, like I said, the, the three that influenced me the most was Witchcraft on the Inside, of course, Big Blue and the Tree. And the Tree is what I want to talk about uh, mm-hmm. now. Um, the Tree, whenever it very first came out, I was just wondering, what was the reaction that you got from the traditional craft community when a book comes out saying that you can – now, there have been, been many books that have said you can do self-dedication and then go on – but this one set is set up to where you can do a self-initiation and start your own CX Wiccan coven. Right. What was the reaction to that from other traditions within the Gardnerian and things like that? Was there any backlash from... Yes, there, there, there was a certain amount at the time, and, and a lot of people, I think, threw up their hands in horror. <laughs> but um, I, I felt very strongly at the time. I had At that time, I'd been Gardnerian, I don't know, for about 10, 12 years, something like that. And um, although it had served me well all those years, there were, there were certain things about it which just didn't sit well with me. It just didn't, I, I wasn't really comfortable with. Um, Gerald Gardner had, had started his particular version. He'd been initiated in, into a Celtic tradition, and then he had finally taken that book of shadows and he looked at it and with his knowledge he could see things which over the years had been been missed out been dropped out been lost somehow he could mm-hmm. see things that had been put in that didn't really belong there which had perhaps crept in from say ceremonial magic or something like that so what he did was to to adjust it to basically rewrite the book to his way of thinking so that became the gardnerian book of shadows well, I went along with that, but I eventually got to feeling the same way. I could see things which, which Gerard had left in which I didn't think belonged. Uh, just as one example, the fact that the, there is both a wand and an asami. Now, they both serve the same purpose, so, so why have them both? The, the wand obviously comes from, from ceremonial magic. It's not really needed in the craft. Anything that you would do with the wand, you can do just as well with your asami. So that's that's just one example. Um, another one was uh, some of the the rituals, uh, the Sabbath ritual. I forget. I think it's the Yule ritual. Uh, you could really take that ritual as it's written, and you could perform it any other time during the year, and it would fit mm-hmm. because it's not specifically for Yule. And there were things like that where I, I thought they they should be much more. Specific, much more yeah, aligned. more personalized to the to the to the Sabbath at hand. Right. Yes. Yes. So I thought, um, okay. Uh, at the same time, there was a lot of uh, of nonsense going on in the craft. A lot of power play. A lot of ego trips on the part of high priestesses and, and the like. And that really, really got to me. Um, I couldn't stand it, so I decided that I was going to leave Gardnerian and I was going to write my own rituals for myself. And they were strictly for myself. Um, I was going to write from what I, I had learned from Gerald. I knew the construction of ritual. I, I studied religio magic for, for a number of years. I felt that I knew what I was doing. So I thought that I could write a whole, I could build a whole new tradition, which is is not really a tradition if it's new, but I could Mm -hmm. do a whole new thing 
um, and I do it just strictly for myself. Now, since I came from England, I thought, okay, what sort of a basis do I want for that? Uh, I thought, okay, coming from, from um, England and perhaps a Saxon background would, would be good. So I started thinking along those lines. Uh, I didn't want to take anything from Gardnerian because I had taken an, an oath at the time of being initiated into Gardnerian, and I honored that oath, and, and I still do. I, I didn't mm -hmm. use anything that was Gardnerian. Everything was new. All the, the rituals were, were new. They followed the same form, because that format is, is um, not just traditional to witchcraft, it's traditional mm -hmm. to mystery religions. Uh, so they followed the same for format, but they were all new, all written by myself, and everything was, was new, and I felt very comfortable with it. But having seen, for instance, this ego tripping, I wanted to come up with a, a construction where it wasn't possible for people to get on their high horse and to, to become the great poobah or whatever. So I decided to dispense with the, um, with, with the degree system I figured there would be no degrees. Everybody would be the same, and that the leaders would only be leaders for a year and a day. They wouldn't get into that position and then become all powerful and mm -hmm. you know become the little dictator. So, if at the end of each year there was a, a new leader voted in, then that would preclude that, and it would also give everybody the chance to experience leadership experience it, yes. and, and what comes with it, the, the responsibility that comes with it. So I, I did that, and I thought, well, looking at witchcraft generally, okay, witches uh, say that, that you have to be initiated into a coven, but who initiated the first witch? You know, where that's, did that's it all, all start? Uh, Mm -hmm. That's what I was going to say because I mean, in a lot of traditional and eclectic covens, the the idea of to me for the for the coven initiation itself is uh, a recognition that the initiate is is going to be following witchcraft as their path and stuff, and that's the first part. And then also being accepted as as a member of the coven. But to me, I believe that the initiation is from the gods. It's it's, right. it's a thing that comes from them to you and not necessarily from your high priest or your high priestess. So that's why I was wondering, what did they think about that? Right, absolutely. Um, and in fact, I, I really go into this in uh, my book, Witch, Wicca for One, um, which is on solitary witchcraft. So I point out there that coven witchcraft started in the 15th, 16th century. Prior to that, there was no mention of covens. Witches were individuals. Sometimes, sure, you got you got a number would get together and celebrate the the, um, the seasons together, but there was no formal coven uh, style, no formal group. Not until the fifteenth, mm sixteenth -hmm. century, it wasn't until then that we even get mention of the of the word coven. So witches were originally individuals, and as mm -hmm. such, then what they they did, it wasn't. Um, necessarily an initiation per se it was a dedication dedicating themselves to the gods uh, you would get say the farmer go out into the fields and stand in a newly plowed furrow and say from here on i dedicate my life to the gods to the god and the goddess and it was that sort of an initiation a dedication to the gods mm -hmm. and so i thought okay i want to incorporate this 
in the Saxon tradition so that anybody can become a Saxon witch. And they can practice by themselves if they want to, or they can get together as a, a, a group. Well, there was quite a rea- reaction, as you've, you've said, to that. Um, a lot of the, the Gardnerians especially thought, well, this is an anathema, this, this is, is terrible. You can't possibly be a witch without being initiated formally into a coven. Well, I'm sorry, but I felt you could. But the thing was that I had written this and put this together for myself. I didn't care whether anybody else used it or not. This this was for my own personal use. I, I felt that this was what I would be happy with. Um, with I think with religion especially, you should not have to compromise. With mm-hmm, religion, that's, that's you, right. should feel, you should feel absolutely comfortable with everything you do and with your relationship with the gods and, and everything. So that was the way I wrote it. Now, uh, knowing how paganism is, word got around, of course, that I was working on something like this. And I had two or three people come visit me. I was living in New Hampshire at that time. And people would come to to visit me, and they would express an interest and say, wow, this is the sort of thing I've been looking for. And under duress, perhaps, I I let some of them have a copy of, of what I'd put together. Well, this was fine until I heard that there was a guy in England who'd been over here for a while. He went back to England, and he was going around to publishers trying to sell the book as his own. Uh, what I had written, he was presenting it as, as his book. So I thought, well, then I'd, I'd better get the thing published myself to, to cut off that. Yeah. So uh, I, I went to Dunweiser, and, and Weiser published uh, the, the tree, and so it got published that way. But originally, it was just put together for, for myself. Mm-hmm. And and it's like I say, I think I have like the second or third printing. Um, I yeah. have a very old copy, and I've read it, and I've just always thought in the back of my mind, what kind of reception did it get from you know the the wider craft community? And mm-hmm. now I know. Mixed, I, mean, uh, I guess, is the, is the operative word. <laughs> A mixed reception. <laughs> <laughs> oh yes. All right. Well, it's the bottom of the hour, and we're going to take care of a little bit of business, and we've got some music for uh, our people that are listening out there today. And when we get done with that, we're going to announce the winner of Dr. Buckland's book of gypsy magic and we'll give you some more information and we'll continue with our interview right after this do you have celtic roots are your ancestors from ireland or scotland or wales from cornwall Brittany, the isle of man or gaul do you love stories and tales ancient myths, legends, and folklore of the Celtic peoples. Do you want to hear more about King Arthur, Gwydion, Taliesin, Cuchulain, wild magic, and the realms of the other world? Do you want to hear about the old gods, druids, and fairies in a way that they're not just dusty, dry words on a page? Then you need the Celtic Myth Podshow, available from CelticMythPodshow.com. In the days when the world was young, the days when the air was clean and the dew was fresh upon the grass. Listen well, for I have tidings for you. Warriors are coming from across the sea. Take this message back with you. Tell the fear bold they must give my people either battle or live in peace in half of Erin. On my word, I should prefer to give you half of Erin than to face your weapons. 
the Celtic Myth Pod Show will bring you the bravery of heroes and heroines, the magnificent pantheon of gods and goddesses, and the magic and wonder of druids, fairies, and folklore. Our ancestors would listen to these stories as told to them by their bards. They wouldn't read them in books. This podcast brings the magic of sound back into our legends. A new episode comes out twice a month and builds into a complete collection of tales from Celtic mythology. So just sit down, get comfortable, and join us every other week. Listen to news, chat, and a story from Celtic mythology with the Celtic Myth Podshow from CelticMythPodshow.com. That's CelticMythPodshow.com. Yes, and I recommend to everybody that likes a good tale to give them a, a check out. Their website recently has been hacked, so I don't know if their web episodes are up right now, but I believe that Gary and Ruth are working very hard to bring that back on. And in honor of Dr. Buckland being here with us today and Witches Everywhere, uh, this is a tune based on the Bogaby Rune, and when we get back from that, we're going to announce the winner of Dr. Buckland's book and, and a couple other things, and then we'll continue on with the interview after this. Thank <laughs> you. 
I've got people in the chat room asking a bunch of different questions here. What we're going to do is I'm going to take just a minute and I'm going to tell you how you can win uh, Dr. Buckland's book, The Wiser Field Guide to Ghosts, and also get your name in for a drawing for an ASMA that is being uh, offered up by ravensweb13.net. Uh, and all you need to do, and these are the winners for these are going to be announced May 30th from on my interview with uh, Kasur Sarath. And all you have to do is, if you're interested in uh, Dr. Buckland's book, The Wiser Field Guide to Ghosts, send me an email, sylvanus93, S-Y-L, S-Y-L-V-A-N-U-S, 93, at hotmail.com. Uh, put in the uh, subject line, uh, ghost book, or if you're interested in the drawing for the athame, put in gothic athame, and all I need from you is your magical name and a mailing address so that in case you win, I can send it to you. Now, on the official Pagan Perspectives fan page, I had somebody say, well, why do I need to give you, your, give you my... Uh, Magical name. I wouldn't give you my magical name. You'll steal my power. Okay. For the people that think that, no. Just a suitable name that isn't your real name because I don't want to put, be putting people's information out on the air. I don't want your, your, your ritual name or anything like that that is special to you. Just something that we can uh, write down and put into the magic hat, which I did this morning, and drew out a name for Dr. Buckland's book, uh, Buckland's Book of Gypsy Magic which I'm going to tell you in just a minute who the winner is. But if you're interested in either one of these, the Athame or uh, the Wiser Field Guide to Ghosts, please feel free to uh, send uh, an email with your entry, and we'll do the same thing when on the 30th. I'll put all the names in the magic hat and uh, do a drawing and, and pull out the winner for the Athame and that book. And also, for those of you that if this is your very first time uh, listening to the show, I appreciate you guys uh, taking the time out of your schedule to sit down with us and, and enjoy a very insightful and, and, and uh, informational uh, interview with Dr. Buckland. And if you're one of those people that is a computer nerd that's online a lot, I encourage you to go to Facebook and uh, join us on the uh, official Pagan Perspectives uh uh, show page, our fan page, and also our sister site for those of us that are uh, politically active. We have Progressive Pagans in America, of America. Also, a little bit of a, a side note, I went and looked at some of the statistics for the show, and I was shocked. I wasn't really shocked, but I was surprised. Um, the top three demographics of listeners for the show, and just another little thing to let you guys know, we're coming up close to 10,000 listeners, so I very much appreciate everybody that's listened over this last year. But anyway, um, the top three demographics for listening to the show is America first, uh, Britain, uh, whether it's Scotland, Wales, the whole nine yards, we, that's number two. And then the surprise for me, the number three demographic is Brazil. So to all of our people that are listening in Brazil and South America, I don't speak Spanish or any of the, of the Central American and South American languages, but to those that have listened to us and, and stayed with us over this entire year, I greatly appreciate you. And um, all total, I believe the show has been listened to by people from about 46 different nations, including Switzerland and Norway and, and all that. So everybody that's listening to the show around the world, you're, you're hearing Dr. Buckland here in the United States, but you could be in Germany, you could be in, in Norway, and to all the people that are sitting around uh, their computers and, and will eventually download this show later on, uh, I want to say thank you very much. Now, the time has come, 
And like I said, about the middle of the show, I'm going to uh, uh, name off the person who won Dr. Buckland's book. And the winner is, drumroll, Storm from Missouri. So Storm from Missouri, um, if you're listening, if you're out there, your copy of Dr. Buckland's wonderful book, and I've read it um, pretty much from cover to cover, Buckland's uh, Book of Gypsy Magic, uh, Traveler's Story, Spells, and Healings. There's a lot of information uh, in the book. It's very fascinating. The thing that is, you know, that I get the most out of from this book is I love the, the, the information on divination because I'm a person that is drawn to divination. So for people, and, you know, even though this was one copy that we were able to acquire and get out for you, I highly recommend that if you get a chance and you're at Barnes & Noble or Borders or you go on to Amazon, please, if you're interested, order a copy of Dr. Buckland's book. Um, this one also, um, The Wiser Field Guide to Ghosts. Um, I'm about halfway through it, and I'm fascinated. We're going to talk about both of these books here in just a minute. What I do want to do, though, is uh, for people that are listening and they're wondering, well, how can they uh, call in and, and you know uh, give a comment or a question or whatever to doc- Dr. Buckland? It's pretty easy. All you have to do is dial 1-347-637-2017, and whenever you call, I just ask that you give your name and where you're at, whether you're Bob from Idaho or whatever, and kind of keep your questions and comments short just so that we can get a little bit more people uh, able to talk to Dr. Buckland. And now that we're back, I was going to ask, um, what was the what was the impetus to kind of get you to write the uh, newest book of Gypsy Magic? How did that come to be? Well, uh, as you probably know, my, my background is, is Gypsy. I'm a half-blood Gypsy myself. My father was a full-blood. My mother was not, so I'm a half-blood, what's known as a posh rat in, in Romanus, the Gypsy language. Uh, my My grandfather was what's what will be termed a gypsy king uh, of course there are many many gypsy kings uh, just as there are many many uh, witch queens uh, there's there's no one queen of all the witches and so there's no one king of king of all the gypsies uh, the gypsy word is kralis k-r-a-l-i-s gypsy kralis and uh, my grandfather was a kralis and it basically is just the patriarch of the tribe the extended mm-hmm. family now, my grandfather was, was the Kralis, and uh, he traveled the road with, with the, the rest of the realm for, for many, many years until around about the turn of the last century, around about 1900 or so. I guess he saw something of the writing on the wall as to, to what is, was happening with the travelers in those days, and he finally settled in a house, and so my, my father and my uncle were, were brought up pretty much as as regular kids, and I certainly was. When I came on the scene, I was brought up as as a regular person. In fact, I didn't really think much about my gypsy background until about the mid-1980s. In the early 1980s, I was thinking about writing another book on divination, divinatory practices, and I thought it would be fun to dig out all the gypsy forms of divination, Mm-hmm. And so I started researching, and I went to my mother. My, my father was dead, unfortunately. I went to my mother to, to get background on on our family and on gypsies. And I have two or three friends back in England who, who are Rom, who are, who are gypsies. And I got a lot of information there, and I put together a book called The Secrets of Gypsy Fortune-Telling. Mm-hmm. And this 
So this was a, a lot of fun again to to write, and um, it came out was very su- successful. And uh, Llewellyn published it, and they asked me if I would do another gypsy book. So I did a book on on gypsy love magic. Uh, love magic, of course, is always popular. So I did that, and then later I did one on on dreams, gypsy dream reading, and um, I think there was another one. Oh, then I, I did a large book called Gypsy Witchcraft and Magic, uh, a big book which dealt a lot more with the history of the the gypsies. I've seen that one. I believe I've yeah. seen that one before. Okay. Well, uh, after a few years, as happens with with many books, eventually these books went out of print. I mean, Llewellyn publishes puts out probably a hundred new titles a, a year, perhaps even more than mm-hmm. that now. I don't know. So with all these new titles coming out, they've got to get rid of some of the old ones. They can't keep them all going. So they get together and they say, well, this book is not selling so well, so we'll drop this. Well, they dropped these gypsy books of mine. I was a little upset because Gypsy Love Magic, for instance, had sold over 100,000 copies. So to my mind, that that was was doing very well. But anyway, they presumably they, they knew their own business best. So they let these go out of print. So what I did, I immediately jumped on them. I said, okay, if you're not going to republish these, then I would like to get back the rights to these books. Uh, The publisher holds the rights for as long as it's in print, but the copyright is in in the author's name. So anyway, I got back the rights to them, which meant that I could then offer them to any other publisher if I wanted to, or I could redo them myself or whatever. So I thought... I feel these are too good to lose. So I went to um, Red Wheel Wiser, and I said to them, would you be interested in, in redoing any of, the, any of these books? And they looked at them, and they said, you know, there's some great material here. What we would like to do is to put them all together, to shuffle them together, to make one big book of all the, the different bits and pieces, pieces from here, there, and, and all the books, and, and put it out under one title. So I said, that sounds great. I said, but don't ask me to do it because I haven't got the time. <laughs> so they said, well, that's all right. They said, that's all right. We'll do it, and then we'll we'll submit it to you to, to see, you know, if you think we've done it right or you want to change the order or, or, or whatever. So that's what they did. So they put it together, and I think they did a beautiful job, and they decided to, to label it Buckland's Book of Gypsy Magic. And it has uh, elements from all those other books worked into it and a lot of new material. And uh, so it's come out, I think they've done, as I say, a beautiful job. They've done a gorgeous cover, which is very reminiscent of of the Gypsy Vardos, the old Gypsy Wagons, the the, um, Mm -hmm. coloring and what have you. And it's been very, very well received. It seems to be going like hotcakes, so I'm very pleased with it indeed. I, I like it. I think it's an awesome book. And, and the one thing I like to say is uh, from like from the very first book that I read to uh, Big Blue and onwards and, uh, and, and till now, I think the one thing that is so good about uh, your books is that they're consistent. There are so many authors that you can tell that from book to book they kind of change their style. Uh, they change the way that they research things. And I've seen like it just the, the entire run of everything that I personally have ever read of your books, there's they're consistent in the, the way that you present the material, and I really appreciate that because you know some authors can be so confusing with the things that I put out that when you find somebody that has a style that's understandable, mm-hmm. um, that is simple but still 
uh, holds true to what it's doing, whether it's big blue or big red or whatever. It gives something that people can hold on to and go, okay, this is this is functional. This works for me. And I really appreciate you being able to do that over so many years and so many books. Well, I, I really appreciate you saying that because, uh, you know, sometimes you, I, I sit here at the computer pounding away at the keyboard and uh, I'll sit back and think, you know, I wonder if anybody's actually reading this stuff. So, so to get to, so to get some feedback is is nice, and um, I I know I I don't uh, sort of try to be consistent. I guess I I just always write the the same style. But I have heard a lot of people say that they find it my my writing to be very readable. So I guess that that's nice, and I I'm delighted to hear it. Okay, well, this like I said, this is the bottom half of the show, and I do want to open up the uh, phone lines. Uh, for anybody that's been waiting, uh, I'm sorry, but you know, uh, now's the time to call in one three four seven six three seven twenty seventeen. Just give us an introduction of who you are and who Dr. Buckland's talking to. And it looks like we actually do have a caller. Let me bring them on. Hello, sorry that you've been waiting so long. You're on the air. Hello. Hello. Okay, I think they might have gone on? somewhere else. Okay, well, we'll shut that one down. But like I'm saying, if you do like to have a question or a comment for Dr. Buckland, the number to call is one three four seven six three seven twenty seventeen. And um, the book, the the Wiser Field Guide to Ghosts, um, I I've been reading it and I've been really enjoying it because of the the way that you have the chapters set out and I'm I'm liking I didn't know the different kinds of ghosts the ancestral ghosts uh some of the anim, animal ghosts the celebrity ghosts and um it's just I think it's a it's a really good book if anybody wants a true field guide on ghosts this is the book to definitely check out Thanks yes uh, why the came to me they they said that they were going to start a new series of, of field guides to different things and they asked me if I would do the first one on ghosts they've since done one on vampires I think on and on on different other things but um looking at it uh, the ghosts I thought well obviously I need to cover as much as I can so I I really got together as many different ghosts or forms of ghosts as I could find around the world uh, from all, all sorts of, of weird names, from, from Manchis to Balgurus to Domoviks to, to Doppelgangers to, to Bogarts to Galitrots, so all, all sorts of, of different things. But I thought, well, this is all very confusing, so I need to break them down. So what I then did was to look at what each, each ghost was. Some of them were, were the same, but in different countries with different names, of course. So I thought, okay, let, let's break them down into, say, all those that are like guardian ghosts or those that, that are, are um, monsters, those that are nature ghosts, those that are poltergeists. So that's what I did. I broke, broke it down into ancestral ghosts, animal ghosts, apparitions, battlefield ghosts, guardian ghosts, fairies, deceiving ghosts, and so on and so forth. So that, that's how I came up with, with that list. And uh, again, it was was a, a great fun to do, great to, great fun to to write, and um, it does, I think, cover as many as we can in a, in a small book this size. Mm-hmm. 
and I've, I've tried to keep it as a, a field guide, so it's the sort of thing you kind of stick in your pocket when you go out ghost hunting. Mm-hmm. Well, and now it does look like we've got another caller, so I'm going to go to the phones. Hello, you're on the air with Dr. Buckland. Hi, this is Eric on. How are you tonight? Hi, Eric. Nice to hear from you. I just want to say thank you for all your wonderful work and your books. I really love them. Uh, Big Blue has been a a bedside book for me for many years, and it's uh, it's been a, a great pleasure to read your work. Well, thank you very much. It's it's nice to to hear that. I really appreciate it. And I'm going to get off here and let somebody else get on. Uh, again, Dr. Buckland, really appreciate you uh, putting all this work in. Okay, and thanks for calling. All right, thank you for calling. We appreciate that. Um, okay, let that go. Close that down if I'm trying to work the phone line here. Um, uh, one thing that I've always wondered, if, and, and I've had experience with, with uh, ghosts and entities myself, with everything that, you know, there are people that experience, they see ghosts, they see orbs, they see these different lights and stuff, the one thing that gets me is I'm thinking, okay, you have all of these people that have seen different things at different times through history, um, but more often than not, I'm not saying that it hasn't ever happened, but then you have investigators, ghost hunters, ghost hunting groups that have come up over the last 20 or 30 years um, whenever they go to a various place that's being haunt- has been haunted or an area that's known for like a battlefield or whatever, and they don't see anything. One thing that kind of sinks into my mind, and I've always uh, tried to, you know, figure it out for myself: Do ghosts or apparitions or entities do they show themselves to whom they want, or is it a situational thing? Do you think, or you know, why do some people see them and others don't? I think it's partly a situational thing. Um, obviously, they well, perhaps not obviously, but ghosts cannot be constantly there. I mean, it, it's like a saying, um, how come you're not always down in, in a local market square? You know, I, I often go into the bookstore there, but I never see you there. No, because they've got other things to do, other places to go. Mm-hmm. Well, the same with the ghosts. I mean, they're not going to be uh, showing themselves constantly. Uh, some of them show themselves regularly, and this can be perhaps on the anniversary of something which happened, an anniversary of their death, or if, if they were murdered, the anniversary mm-hmm. of their, their murder. Um, some, it, it's a question of who's there. It, it might be that they want to make contact. Uh, it might be that they, they live in a house, and this, this happened with me, I'll, I'll tell you in just a moment, but it might be that they live in a house and that they, they just happen to, to be visible at certain times. Um, almost, uh, it, it, it's, it's as though it, it's a different wavelength, and sometimes you happen to tune in and sometimes you don't. And uh, with a radio, the, the different radio shows are going all the time, but whether you happen to tune in to that particular wavelength or not is a question of whether or not you hear them. Well, the same with ghosts. Now, I, I had a house when I lived in New Hampshire. It was built in 1820. So it, it was quite old, and it had several ghosts there. Uh, we used to, my wife and I used to sit in the living room, and we'd hear footsteps, something about walking across the room above the, my elder son, son's uh, bedroom, actually. 
mm-hmm. hears footsteps walking about, and one day we heard the, the footsteps come thumping down the stairs, and we both turned to, to look, and nobody appeared at the bottom, and I got up and went, and of course there was nobody on the stairs. Mm-hmm. Uh, one day I was sitting in my office, and the house was, as I say, an old house, but it had a screen, screened-in porch which had been added at some time on, across the front. It uh, was fully screened in, but, and there was a screen door at the end of it, and it had a very squeaky uh, door to it. And I was sitting in my, my office one day, and I heard the squeak, and the screen door opened, and then banged shut again, and I glanced up, and I saw this man walking across the front, past the windows of my office, going to the front door. So I got up, and I went to the front door, though he, he didn't ring the bell, so... I opened the front door, and there was nobody there, nobody on the porch. Uh, I hadn't heard the screen door go again, squeak. There was a long driveway up to the road, no sign of anybody there. So it, it, it was a ghost who was there. My mother-in-law one time was, was staying with us, and she was uh, staying, sleeping in the, the same room where we would hear the footsteps. And she woke up in the middle of the night and found this lady dressed all in blue standing at the foot of the bed looking at her. And then the, the lady turned away and just disappeared. So there were two or three ghosts in that house. And why they uh, appeared when they did, I don't know. As I say, it was, was probably just sort of coming on, tuning into that wavelength. Perhaps it's a state of mind that we have. Perhaps it's a state of mind that they have. I, I, I don't know. Uh, there are some, like the, the, the brown lady um, in, in England who comes down the staircase, the, the, the staircase every so often, I think it's the night of the full moon, on a regular basis. Now, some ghosts like this, I think it's almost like playing a DVD. It's not necessarily a spirit who's there appearing. I think it's a replaying of something which happens. And it's replaying playing over and over again, just going through the, the, the same motions. Uh, incidentally, all ghosts, ghosts are spirits. Uh, all ghosts are spirits. Not all spirits are ghosts. Uh, not all spirits make themselves known. But, but those who do, those who appear or make themselves known by sound or whatever, are labeled ghosts. Hmm. Well, we've got some more callers, so I'm going to bring them on the line here. Hello, you're on the air with Dr. Buckland. Hello, this is James from Michigan. Can you hear me? Yes, I can. James, did you say? Yes, James. Thank you for taking taking my call. (laughs) My pleasure. And it's... um, it's uh, great to speak to you, Dr. Buckland. Um, I've got a quick question for you. Um, aside from yourself, another really big name in uh, the witchcraft realm would be uh, Alistair Crowley. And I was wondering if you can speak on, uh, on his, uh, his own views on witchcraft and how you feel about it. And, uh, and I'm curious what you think. Well, interestingly enough, I wouldn't label Alistair Crowley as a big name in witchcraft. I would in, in magic. Um, I, I, I would in his, his various strange interests, if you like. But I think he was only peripherally into witchcraft. Uh, Gerald Gardner, of course, met him uh, one time or a couple of times. Arnold Crowther uh, took Gerald to meet, um, to meet Crowley when he was living down on the coast, the south coast of England in his, his late years. 
And um, when he met Gerald, he presented him with, with a charter that he could take home, claiming him as the, the local leader, the parish of Jerusalem on the Isle of Man, as the leader for the parish of Jerusalem of the OTO. And Gerald thanked him very much and, and took it home and stuck it in his museum. But uh, Gardner um, Crowley wasn't really interested in witchcraft because he felt that it was too tame. Uh, at that time, he thought that it was just a group of little old ladies getting together and, and singing songs or, or trying to praise the old gods. Uh, I think the reason that we think of Crowley associated with witchcraft is because Gerald, for example, borrowed various things from him, some of his poetry. He, he did some beautiful poetry, of course, and Gerald borrowed some of that and put it into his, his, uh, his book of shadows, but Crowley himself didn't write specifically for Gardner, didn't write for the Book of Shadows. And as I say, he really wasn't that interested in witchcraft per se. Okay, thank you very much. You're welcome. Thank you for uh, calling. That's one thing I wanted to know. Um, uh, you know, so many uh, traditional covens and, and some of the, the newer covens that are uh, in the United States um, and around the world... Whenever we invoke the watchtowers, isn't that, by its own uh, admission, uh, ceremonial magic apart from witchcraft? It is, um, it, depending, of course, what tradition it is as, as to whether or not they invoke watchtowers. Uh, but I think um, the, the, the fine line that you can draw is um, how those watchtowers are invoked. If you are sort of conjuring the watchtowers or demanding that they appear or, or, or whatever, uh, then it is certainly verging on ceremonial magic. Anything in, in witchcraft should be an invitation, an invitation to join you in the circle. And that is, is not really ceremonial magic because the ceremonial magic is showing that your strength of will over the strength of will of the spirits being summoned. So as I say, it's a question of how it's done, which tradition is, is operating as to whether or not you might class it as that. And uh, it's like also the fact that there are you know, like uh, not just uh, Gardnerian craft, but specifically uh, uh, Alexander's and Alexandrian craft with a lot of its heavier emphasis on things that were tied to uh, uh, ceremonial ritual and things like that. Um, it's just like I, I was trying to get the, the feel of of whether Gardner was intent on, you know, trying to mix ceremonial elements in Wicca, or if it was just something that came about through just as a happenstance thing through his uh, contacts with Crowley. Was it? How do you? I think don't. That? I don't think it was through his contacts with with Crowley. Um, I, I I think it was was quite apart from Crowley, and um, Alexander's, of course, uh, his tradition was mostly Gardnerian, but mixed in with a lot of ceremonial magic. I mean, his drawing of the circle, his, his calling the, the angels or, or whatever, uh, he had a lot of ceremonial magic, very specifically ceremonial magic in his tradition. Gerald didn't uh, try to bring in ceremonial magic. In fact, he tried to cut it out. But by the, con the construction of his rituals, uh, they followed the same pattern of, um, well, similar pattern, for instance, to, to Freemasonry. Uh, and so the, some of the, the calling, some of the, the, um, the, the, the requests 
uh, which could which you can find you where you can find parallels with ceremonial magic but i don't think gerald was trying to include okay. ceremonial magic in itself it's, okay. it's just coincidental okay i was just wondering about that okay the phone lines are starting to light up again we got another caller here welcome you're here with dr buckland well hello there this is cynthia it's a pleasure to meet dr buckland well thank um, you cynthia Yes, my um it's not really a question is it's just a take on your thoughts about Janet and Stuart Farrar. Mhm. Um they they're wonderful people. I I know Janet very well. I never did meet Stuart. I, I would have liked to have done. Uh I think their their books are wonderful. They're very very good. Um especially those dealing with 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 the god and goddess uh uh, for uh, Sabbaths for Witches, um, great books. Uh, Janet has gone on now with, with Gavin to um, to do a lot of new work, and um, I'm not that familiar with all that they're doing today. It seems to me uh, a little... A little commercial, if I can put it that way. Um, yes, the witch's Bible that I had for years uh, was taken off the shelf. It's oh, yes? banned. Yes, and I got my hands on a copy of it about three years ago, uh-huh. and uh, I think it's back in print again, but I was just curious about how you felt about her her and his work. Uh, I, I think that their work was, was very good. They certainly helped a lot of people. They introduced a craft to a lot of people, and I know very definitely that uh, certainly with with, um, with Gavin and with um, Janet, that they are very, very, uh, very dedicated and very sincere in in all that they do. Well, thank you very much because you know how sometimes you'll pick up pick up certain books and the works and you you practice and you read and then right you know with all the new uh, age coming along too sometimes it gets quite confusing with all these books. Absolutely, but I, it, it does. It does. I still recommend that you read everything you possibly can. Okay. <laughs> Spend time sorting it out. Well, thank you very much, sir. Thank you for calling. You're thank welcome. you, Cynthia. You're welcome. All right, we've got another caller. Let me get them on to. Oh, wait a minute. Okay, it comes up here. If I can get it to. You're on the air with Dr. Buckland? Hello. Hello. Hi, this is Lisa in Kentucky. Yes, Lisa. Hi, Dr. Buckland. It's so nice to talk to you. Um, and to you. <laughs> had a question. I was wondering, um, is Llewellyn planning anything special for the 25th anniversary of Big Blue for next year? Uh, they say they are. Of course, uh, we we have to wait and see um, with any publisher, I guess, but perhaps, well, I shouldn't say, especially say with the women. But, but we need to, to wait and see. Uh, from what I've what information I've had from Llewellyn, they are going to be bringing out a special 25th anniversary edition, which is going to be in hardcover. Um, last time I spoke with them, they were talking about sort of reversing the cover, the, the color, so it will be silver with blue on it rather than blue with silver on it. Mm-hmm. Um, it will be, I think it will be very expensive because it will be a very fancy edition, very, very well done, special paper, the whole bit. Uh, I don't know whether they're going to try to get me to autograph every single copy, but they might well do. Um, 
But uh, that's the, the last I have heard. Uh, at some point, they're going to be asking me to write a new introduction for it, but they haven't got around to that yet. So when they do, then I'll, I'll know better whether or not they're really going ahead with it. Well, that would be really nice. So it would be a small, just a small printing, just a... Yes, yeah, limited printing, probably, uh, I know, it might only be like 500 copies or something like that that they print. Uh, I guess they will have a better idea of what sort of market it will have. And depending on the price, I know I think they were talking like perhaps even $100 a copy. Oh, wow. Well, that would be really special to have that. I know that would mean a lot to you to have that, too. He would. He would. I, I would be very honored indeed to, to have that done. Mm -hmm. Wow, that would be great. Well, it was really nice talking to you. It was nice talking to you too, Lisa. Thank you so much for calling. <laughs> Thank you for calling. That was awesome. We've got another caller. Can get this to get them online. Hello, you're here with Dr. Buckland. Hello. 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 I'm Alex Lyons, and I would like to thank you for the books you've written. I've done a little research over the past few days, and I think it's great that you would you know, stand up and actually write this stuff, even though there's a lot of people out there who would like to ostracize or condemn you just for mm -hmm. even thinking about this. Oh, yes. Yeah, the, the, there are always people like that. I mean, no matter what you do or what... what uh, what stand you take, there are always people who disagree with you. And, uh, you know, I, they're entitled to their opinions. I, I don't mind people disagreeing with me. It's when you get these, these fanatics, uh, like some of the, well, the born-again Christians who, who don't believe in anything, it seems, other than their, their very small, basic stuff. Uh, but you, if you believe in something yourself, then you stand up for it, and you, you speak out about it, and, and you write about it, and, and that's all I do. I would really like to thank you for this, and I'll let you talk to someone else. Well, thank you. Thank you for calling. Mm -hmm. Thank you for calling. Um, and we've got, holy cow, can you believe it? We've just got about 22 or so minutes left on the show. Um, now that we're getting down towards the end of the show, I wanted, there's a couple questions I wanted to get your uh, take on. Um, what do you think, first off, what do you think about the direction of the uh, pagan community and the craft community in general now, and what do you think are going to be some of the strengths and, and weaknesses that we're going to have to deal with over these next 10 to 20 years as a movement here in the United States? Uh, I, I can't fully answer this because I'm kind of out of touch with much of what's happening these days. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm sort of semi-retired from, from public uh, um, attachment to, to, to Wicca, uh, I'm certainly still, of course, interested in it, still still doing shows like this. But I've sort of sat back. I think I've done 40 or so, 40 plus years of, of active work, so I feel that it's somebody else's turn now. Mm -hmm. So I'm not that um, aware of all the things that are happening today, not as, as much as I used to keep in touch. But from everything I've seen, from everything I read, we're obviously going forward. We're breaking a lot of new ground. We're being accepted far, far more. I mean, recently we got the pentagram accepted as a symbol for, for, for the, the uh, tombstones in the, the national cemeteries. Uh, things like this, some wonderful movements forward. 
Um, and, and I think this is great. The only thing that bothers me, that there's one little thing that niggles at me, and that is the general practice of witchcraft these days, insofar as, certainly insofar as uh, many young people are concerned. Uh, it seems that it's, it's kind of a fun thing to do, uh, to be a witch or to practice witchcraft, and people are doing just about anything they like and labeling it witchcraft. And there's really nobody to say, no, that isn't witchcraft. Uh, in the, the older days, in, in my earlier time, it was very specific what was witchcraft and what was not, uh, what was wicker, what was, was not. But there seems to be a very vague line these days. Um, in the old days, uh, let's see, Gerald Gardner, when he was writing about witchcraft, witchcraft today, the meaning of witchcraft, in witchcraft today, for instance, he only used the word wicker, I think, a couple of times. Everywhere else he spoke of witches and witchcraft. And this was a, a sort of um, an ongoing dispute for, for many years. Uh, I followed Gerald's feelings in that the true word was witch and witchcraft, and that it was up to us to educate people as to what a witch really was, what witchcraft really was. There were those who said, no, why don't we change our name? This way we won't get the abuse, we won't get people yeah, saying, saying that we're Satanists. Yeah, so, so there was quite a little battle going on for quite a while. Uh, as I say, I felt that we should stick with the old name and just educate people. Uh, gradually the word wicker was used more and more. And finally, we've, we've got to the point where, well, I've, I've sort of, if you can't fight, if you can't beat them, then join them. And I wrote mm -hmm. the, the Wicker for Life and, and Wicker for One and so on. And the words in many places are used interchangeably. Mm -hmm. But it really depends on who you're speaking to as to whether the word is witch or wicker or wickham. Um, a lot of people these days think of Wicca as being the more traditional religious aspect, the getting together in covens to worship the gods and the sabbats and the esbats and so on and so forth. And they think that witchcraft is purely magic and casting spells and doing things like that. So mm -hmm. we were always taught that... separated from the religious aspect, yeah. Mm. We, we, we were always taught that you, you only do magic if there's an absolute need for it. It's not something that you, you just do. But these days, there's so many people who, who just want to do magic and, and cast spells. Well, if they're just doing magic, then they're just magicians. You don't have to call yourself a witch to do that. So there, there is a confusion of line there, but I think personally that there are enough... Uh, enough people who are sincere and dedicated to what I would call the, the old way of, of doing wicker or witchcraft that it will keep going. I think the, the fluffy bunnies, if you like, of witchcraft will, will disappear. So I think we'll, we'll keep progressing. I keep, think we'll, we'll keep making headway. And I think eventually one of these days we'll be accepted for, for just for what we are, as just another religion. That, that was one thing that I've, I've been thinking, and I've been seeing, uh, you know, I, I was initiated in a coven years ago and, and, you know, went through the things that I needed to, but there are so many eclectic groups that, you know, that they can, you can go, show up to a couple of rituals and, you know, maybe come to a class and end up uh, being initiated, in, and they're, they're hard on holding on to the word Wiccan. Right. And then 
you have the groups that this is the ones that I'm I'm wondering how they're going to fare in the years. Uh, the British traditional craft, uh, Gardnerian, uh, the Alexandrian uh, tradition here in the United States. Is there going to be enough of the people that hold to the tradition, that hold to the way that have things have come up since you know Gardner and others have brought things forward? Do you think that there will be a survival of uh, traditional witchcraft, or do you think the eclecticism might kind of diminish it here in the United States? No, I, I think that, that the, the traditional witchcraft will, will survive. Uh, you'll always have the eclecticism, you'll always have the, the, the ones who are passing through, you'll always have those who are, quite frankly, too lazy to go through the, the, the full, full part of, of, of Wicca. Um, but I think there are enough people who are dedicated, in fact, I know there are enough who, who are fully dedicated, that it will keep going. Uh, I think you'll always have that. It, it was, before Gardner uh, went public in, in the 1950s, it was carrying on undercover in, in the shadows. It was keeping going, even after all those hundreds of years through the persecutions, it was still going. And I think it will keep going. I don't think they'll have another persecutions, but I don't think it will be uh, generally watered down to the point that, that, that we'll lose it, no. And, and one thing that I see, and, I, and you know, I mean, it's, it's, it's a possibility, but, you know, also another thing is that witchcraft and various pagan traditions in the United States and around the world have been very organic. They change, they grow, they expand, they contract. They have groups that will start up and have many covens, and then after a few years they might dwindle back down to one or two. But one of the things that I see that's coming um, is more of like a what I call a congregational witchcraft, as in those that there's an inner circle of coveners that have gone through the proper initiations uh, and, and the training that they needed to eventually uh, uh, be considered uh, available for clergy status within the coven. And then there are going to be people that are going to be on the fringe that are just the pagan folk that want to be able to uh, come to a Sabbath and be there for the fellowship and, and that whole thing. So they don't they can be outer court, they can be comfortable, and then it's up to them whether they want to advance further and move inside. But I see it becoming that, you know, there's a lot of groups where there's not a whole large amount of people that are the inner circle, and you see the people that are outside, 10, 20, 30 people that just want to show up and be there for the fellowship. And I think that this may be a trend that will expand over the next 10, 15, 20 years. Yeah, I, I think you're absolutely right. Yes, I think there'll always be that inner core, the, the, the inner court, and, and those who, who are on the fringe who want to be a part of it but don't want to dedicate themselves, don't, don't want to be, be too tied to it. Yes, I, I think that's very much the way it will go. I think you're right there. Mm -hmm. And uh, we're getting down towards the end of the show, and I wanted to, uh, over the last few years, like through various interviews that I've seen with you and, and things that I've seen on YouTube interviews and such, that uh, with your uh, growing interest in uh, spiritualism and things, that you spend a lot of time in Lilydale, New York. Right. And yep. uh, are you going there again this summer? Oh, yes, I, I go there every year. And, and this is sort of full circle for me because, as I said at the beginning of the show, I, I, I started with spiritualism, with my uncle introducing me to, to his books on spiritualism. And now I sort of come full circle. I... I 
very much am into spiritualism these days, and the, the closest large gathering place for me is Lilydale, New York, which is up near, near Jamestown, just about a, uh, about an hour away from Buffalo, New York. And it's um, the oldest and largest spiritualist community in the world. It's been going for like 130 years. And I usually come there half a dozen or so times a year. This year, I'm going to be there. Uh, I, I usually teach a workshop there every every year. This uh, year, I'm going to be teaching a, a, a workshop on trance mediumship, which is going to be on August the 7th. Um, I'm also going to be speaking. I sometimes speak at their, their services. I'm going to be speaking at the auditorium service on August the 16th. Uh, July the 10th, I'm going to be appearing at their, their library day, which is recognition of of people from that community who have written books or been written about in books. And in that that evening, July the 10th, we have the Victorian Seance, which is, is great. This is about the fifth year of it, where there are probably 16, 15 or 16 mediums, uh, and I will be one of them. Uh, who uh, gather with about half a dozen people around their table, each table, and everybody is in Victorian dress, and we we do a seances, uh, we do a seance there as though it was the old Victorian times. Each medium doing a different type of mediumship, so that that's a lot of fun. So yeah, I'll be there definitely this year for for all those things. Awesome. Um, also, uh, I thought I'd put it out there for our listeners. Do you have any, uh, I mean, other than this, uh, the new book, Buckland's Book of Gypsy Magic, coming out, do you have any other new projects yes, that you're working um, on? Yes, the, the beginning of next year, 2011, I have a new book coming out, which is called Solitary Seance, which is basically Ooh. spirit communication for the individual. So you don't have to... I, I was inspired to do this thinking about the end of the, the season, this, the summer season at Lilydale last year. All these people were going home thinking, well, boy, the season's over, we can't get another reading from, from these mediums until next season. And I thought to myself, yes, you can. You can do it yourself. So I wrote this book called Solitary Seance, which gives about, uh, I don't know, 15, 20 different methods of communicating with, with, with spirits uh, working by yourself, so that'll be out then. Um, I'm just writing my my third Victorian mystery novel. Uh, mm-hmm. I haven't got a publisher for them yet, but I, I've written two so far, and I'm halfway through through the third. Uh, and this is where a lot of my focus is right now on on those Victorian mysteries. Oh, awesome! Um, throughout the rest of the year, do you have any? Uh other uh, large dates, any book conventions, or any large classes that you'll be teaching? Or yes, in um, in Columbus, Ohio, in October, October the ninth and tenth, is the Universal Light Expo, which is the the largest expo of its kind in in the Midwest. It's it's a huge event, and I'm there just about every year. I've been for the last four or five years or so. Uh, I have a booth there with all of my books, or the ones that are still in print, probably about 20, mm-hmm. 25, five of my books, titles in print, and I also usually give a lecture there and also teach a workshop there. So that's a weekend event, October 9th and 10th. Awesome. That's uh, uh, So like for everybody out there that's wondering what uh, Dr. Buckland does through uh, the summer and the better months of the year, he's busy 
you know, uh, teaching classes and writing and, and going to the various book expos and things like that. So um, it's like you always have an if, – if you, if you look hard enough, you'll have an opportunity to uh, uh, find Dr. Buckland somewhere. And if you see him in Lilydale or at any of these uh, events that he's just mentioned, please go up and, and, and say hi and let him know that you appreciate his work and that you heard him here on Pagan Perspectives with me today. That would be really great, too. Um, but you, you can find, incidentally, at, if you go to my website, www.raybuckland.com, there's a listing of where I'm going to be appearing. Ah, your, your and, and schedule. When. Yes, that's very important. So, yes, yeah. if you'd like to know uh, Dr. Buckland's schedule and any changes that may happen to it, I'm sure that he has updates all the time. As a matter of fact, I have Dr. Buckland's site in my favorites, and I, I keep an eye on it myself. So um, I highly encourage everybody out there to go take a look. And if you're ever out at any of the bookstores, I encourage you to get his newest book, the uh, Buckland's Book of Gypsy Magic, also the Wiser Field Guide to Ghosts. Just if you if you ever get a thousand dollars from the lotto, just go out and buy as many of Dr. Buckland's books <laughs> as you can, because I'm sure he would greatly appreciate it. I and, would indeed, uh, and I, I appreciate your your saying that. <laughs> uh, always, I, I mean, I, I always have to put a plug out there for the for the people that have you know uh, done so much for us, because other than yourself and just a few other writers that I see as being, you know, uh, pivotal in what has happened here over the last years since uh, you uh, came to the United States, that, you know, we've got to support uh, all of our writers that are actually putting out good material for the pagan community, um, and for those of us that have elders that have gone on, like uh, I still tell people to check out um, uh, Civil League or uh, one of my other favorite books that I lost and I need to get another copy is Aidan Kelly's Crafting the Art of Magic and, and uh-huh. other books like that that I think that are important and, and yourself and Scott Cunningham Scott and, Cunningham, and, yes. so, He's very and good. so many people that have been elders and that have put the information out there because I believe if we didn't have anybody to do some of these things we wouldn't be where we are now. If you hadn't came here to the United States and had the you know the uh, I don't know if you call it wherewithal or, or the thoughts to write the things that you have. That I think it would have been a, the pagan community. I think would have gone on, but I think it would have been a lot different. And I really appreciate your contribution to it. Well, thank you very much. I really appreciate that. And we're getting down to the end of the show. We have a great big group of people in the room, and I kind of like to go through the list and, and acknowledge those folks that have hung out with us today. We've got Ravens Web 13, Blinks, Blue Eyes 07, Cynthia Cinderhand. Phoenix Fire, Guest 1502, JROTC Lions, My Fan Y, Night Sky One, Rhonda Lee, Shocker Alum, Sister Morgan, and Zarkon. And uh, I really appreciate everybody that has came and uh, spent time with us today that have called in. You've had some great questions and comments for Dr. Buckland. And I really just want to say I thank you very much, sir, for taking time out to talk to us here on the show today. Um, it's greatly appreciated. Hello? Yep. Hello? Okay. Hello? Huh. Okay, I didn't know we were having trouble with the phone. Also, b- before the uh, uh, show goes off, like I say, if you would like to win a copy of Dr. Buckland's Wiser Field Guide to Ghosts, 
and to get your name in for the uh, Athame giveaway that we'll be announcing on May 30th, send me a uh, email, savannus93, S-Y-L-V-A-N-U-S-93, at hotmail.com, and we will announce the winner of those on May 30th. And it's time to end the show. I want to thank everybody for coming today. I want to thank Dr. Buckland, and I hope that everyone... Uh, takes the time to tell their friends about the show and to also, if you're online, to check us out on Pagan Perspectives on the Facebook. We have our own fan page, and we would love to have you there. Uh, this is Reverend Savannah Treewalker of the Order of Standing Oak saying I'll see you next week, and thank you for being here. Thank you. The Ford Summer Sales Event is in full swing with 0% financing for 72 months plus $1,000 on top of your trade-in on Ford Focus, Fusion, Edge, and Escape. Not all buyers qualify for Ford credit financing. 72 months at $1,389 per month for $1,000 finance regardless of down payment. Trade assist cash requires trade-in of 95 or newer vehicle or lease terminated 30 days prior to or 90 days after delivery. Not available on Focus RS. See dealer or go to buyfordnow.com for complete details. Take new retail delivery from dealer stock by August 22, 2017. Ready? Okay. We got paper. Yes, we do. Michael Target's got everything you need to ready, set, go back to school. 